Thank you, Lord, for this fine day that you have given us. Thank you for your extravagant love poured upon us at Calvary's cross through the sacrifice of your Son, how we worship you and praise you and adore you and love you for bringing us into relationship with yourself, undeserving as we are. Oh, how we praise you and love you and thank you and worship you this morning. Now we just ask that you'll be present as we look into your word once again and bow our hearts before it. May your word change us and instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as you know, we've been looking into the word about the kingdom and about how to be good kingdom citizens, learning what Jesus seen, what Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven. And since he actually had lived there, his teaching is quite valid. (laughs) If you have someone teaching you something about something that they don't know anything about, have never experienced, it's not quite as, as pungent. It's not quite as powerful, is it? But when someone's experienced it and lived it and knows what they're talking about, you tend, we all tend to listen a little differently, don't we? When someone has experienced something similar to what you have experienced and you know that, you kind of tune in a little bit stronger than if it's just book learning. And not that book learning is bad, book learning is good, but you, am I saying truth here? Okay, right? When you know someone else has experienced it and walked it, you go, Ooh, okay, and you listen differently. Well, Jesus had lived in the kingdom of heaven, hadn't he? For a long, long time. And so when he opened his mouth and started to teach and say the kingdom of heaven is like, or repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he knew what he was talking about. It wasn't just a theory. It wasn't just a nice idea, a brilliant idea. It was actually, he knew his father. And he knew what the kingdom of heaven was about and what it was like. And so that's why it's well worth our time and all the time it takes to slowly look and absorb and disseminate, if you will, everything that Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven. Because as we come to him, we become born again. Isn't that the expression that, that is used? Born again as newborn babes into what? Into the kingdom of heaven. A whole new kingdom. Instead of just being part of the kingdom of this world, which is under the control of who? Satan. Okay, let's say it. We suddenly become have a new birth and are birthed into a whole new world. Very much like a physical birth. Okay, that child is is protected in the womb, is all, you know, has has a world of its own, doesn't it, when it's in the womb? Familiar territory for me because we talk about this and study this a lot (laughs) where I work. And, um, you know, that child is, everything in a mother's body goes into protection mode to protect that child in the womb. And it has its safe, warm, little, you know, we even call it a fetal position, right? Okay where it's tucked in there and protected and fed and nurtured, has no cares, no... And then suddenly it's born into this world. It's a whole new ball game, isn't it? whole new ball game. And as we are, that's what, the, that's what salvation is compared to, a new birth. We're suddenly born 
into a whole new world. And it's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Yeah. Suddenly, we are, we are kingdom citizens. And it's a whole, whole learning process, isn't it? Even as is for a, an infant. An infant is born into the world. Its needs change. It's, it has so much to learn. It has so much to learn, right? And the learning process goes on through our, our entire lifetime, from infancy to the grave. And so it is in the kingdom of heaven. We're born as baby Christians and we have no clue what we're up against. And thankfully, usually we don't have to fight the heavy-duty wars initially. (laughs) But the stronger we get, the more we understand. The further we go, the more we grow, the more we understand that it's spiritual warfare and that we are part of a kingdom, a larger kingdom, and that what we see all around us is just not all that there is to our life in God. And so... um, That's why it's well worth every second that we take to spend looking into this book of Matthew and to see and hear what Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven. That's where we ended then with, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. And again, you know, as I've said to you many times, we live in a world that just pushes selfishness on us. And... Um, our human nature just goes towards selfishness. I mean, that's the truth. So um, it's not, and some people, I guess, in their nature, naturally speaking, they just have a tendency to be more self-focused than outward-focused. But in, when we become the newborn, we have to s- realize that as part of, as good kingdom citizens, we have to be kingdom-focused. And our self has to be crucified. <laughs> is what the Bible says. Self has to be put down. Now again, that's not a popular teaching, is it? You don't hear lots of sermons on TV about crucifying yourself and putting yourself down and um, dying, dying with Christ. You don't. You hear about, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and if you send me your money, you'll be blessed and blessed and blessed, and and your life will just be wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But when you when you read what Jesus said, he said, except a man lose his life, then he'll find it if you, right? I mean, this is what Jesus said. He said, you have to lay down your life, be willing to lose your life for the brethren. And he laid down his life for us, didn't he? He gave us an example of what kingdom living was all about. And he said, I came to serve, not to be served, and to lay down my life for the brethren. So... Unless we are doing that, we're pretty much not living kingdom, 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 in a kingdom way. So in chapter 7, judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, And behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So here Jesus is saying, you know, and we talk about this from time to time too, it's so easy to see sin in somebody else's life. I mean, we look at the people around us and we go, 
Wow. They would just, you know, and we, we just have this. Wow. But you know what? That's really, um, not what we're called as kingdom citizens to, to worry about, take care about. We're supposed to hate sin in our own hearts. We are supposed to hate sin like God hates sin, but in our own lives. And we're, we're all sinners. There's no one in, in our world, in our lives, that's not a sinner. We are all sinners. Some of us are saved by grace and others haven't gotten there yet. We heard in, in conference, uh, in one of the conferences we were at, a man's, a uh, gentleman express it like, like this. If someone, if a blind man stepped on your foot, you wouldn't get mad at the blind man. Why wouldn't you get mad at the blind man? Because he's blind, he can't see. And we have people living in sin, blinded by sin, and sometimes, figuratively speaking, they step on our foot or they hurt us in some way, shape, or form. And we don't get angry at the blind man that steps on our foot. Do you understand? Do you understand the analogy there? And so we have to understand this because God hates sin and we need to hate sin like God hates sin, but not in the, in the, in our neighbor's heart, in our own hearts. All we are responsible for is our own heart. And we need to be honest before God and say, show me where I sin. Show me my own sin. And help me not to be so concerned about my sister or my brother's sin because I'm not responsible for that. When we stand before the Lord, all we have to answer for is who? So, you know, we're not God. Now, this does not mean, some people, unfortunately, have taken this judge not that ye be not judged to the absurdest degree, saying, well, and Paul wrote this, Paul answers some of this in, in Corinthians. They have people living in sin and leading the church. No, that's not, and it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to judge in that case, we're supposed to. God, when, when God set up the tabernacle in the Old Testament, could anybody just run into the Holy of Holies anytime they pleased? Because God is love. God's not going to care about that, right? God is just love. And everybody, he just loves everybody. No, it didn't work like that, did it? When they misstepped, when they sinned and did it not the way God told them to, it wasn't that he hadn't told them. He had laid it out real plain and clear. Some of them were killed, weren't they? Some of them died. There was judgment. Some of them had leprosy, whatever. There was, there were consequences. And we have to understand this, that as far as the Christian world around us goes, when there's sin in the camp, you remember the story of Jericho? Jericho, they went, they marched around the walls. They had a wonderful victory. The walls fell down. Woohoo! They're all praising God. And then the next town was Ai. And Ai was just a little itty bitty village like. And they went and sculpted it out. And they came back and they told Joshua, you don't even need the whole army. Just, just send a, a small platoon over there. No problem. And what happened? They got beat. They came running back. With their tails between their legs. What happened? Joshua said, Oh God, what's the matter? You promised you would be with us. 
The Lord said to him, get up off your face. There's sin. There's sin in the camp. When they had taken Jericho, they had been told that that was the first, that was the first, uh, first fruit, pretty much. That, that, that all the loot, all the stuff belonged to God, was consecrated to him. They weren't to take any stuff for themselves. Now you have, to, you have to think about how tempting that was for them because they had been out in a desert for 40 years. There were no Walmart, no Walmarts, no department stores, no, <laughs> no resources like we have. And now they go and they conquer Jericho and there's all this stuff. It was tempting. We would have been tempted too. Not just, just we're not so hard on Achan. Okay, and this guy, Achan, one man, in all of the multitudes of all those people, he saw some of those nice clothes and he said, nobody will have a clue. And he took some, he hid it in his tent. And when they went to Ai and were defeated, God said to Joshua, get up off your face. There's sin in the camp. And Joshua had to go through a big long process to try and figure out, okay, where's the sin? And they found out. The man was killed in his whole family. And while it's true that Jesus came and died on the cross and that his love and grace flows from that, that's an even greater price, don't you think? The judgment doesn't just go away. God is still a just judge. And sin will be punished. And sin has to be dealt with. And as soon as anybody in the church starts to say that <laughs> this is uh, has to be disciplined or judged or whatever oh people just don't understand it they don't get it well god is love god is love everything goes anything goes doesn't matter just love everybody it's got to be balanced do you understand do you understand what i'm saying it's got to be balanced god is just he's a just judge he hates sin he hates sin in our lives and you can't have uh, leadership in the church that's all living in sin and committing adultery and uh, fornication and doing all kinds of perverse things and say, oh, don't worry about it, just keep going. Uh, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. There's discipline. Find out, right? That's right. It There's consequences. There's consequences to sin, absolutely. And just because we're in the New Testament doesn't mean that there's no consequence to sin and that there's and that then that it should never be dealt with or judged. It it does have to be. It does need to be. And so we have to understand that. So that brings us into relationship. Yes. All right. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Everyone that asks receives, he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. And there we have such a wonderful yeah. concept. Ask, it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. Wow. This is kingdom. This is kingdom mentality. Like I said to you before, if we would just understand, wow, I get the privilege to pray. Yeah. So much of our Christian thinking is, Oh, I gotta pray. I gotta get up and pray. No, no. You have the privilege. To, you have the privilege to go to the throne room. We have the privilege to to approach God's throne in heaven. You can't even do that on earth. 
take a, take the mayor of town or, or, you know, some, the governor of our state. You think you're going to go down there tomorrow and, and have an audience with him in Harrisburg? Probably not. Right? And that's just the governor of one state, our state. Not happening. But we have every day the privilege to get up and approach the throne room of heaven and ask, and it shall be given, seek, and you shall find, knock, and it shall be opened. Wow, we should be so excited about prayer that, well, like, we just can't wait to get up and pray. I have this amazing privilege that God has given me to speak before the throne of heaven, the God of the universe. Wow, that's amazing. That should knock our socks off every day. <laughs> See how backwards it is and how Satan works hard to make us feel like, oh, I gotta go pray. Wow. What a lie. What a lie. What a privilege. God hears us when we pray. The God of the universe. Just, you know, look, just, 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 just get a picture of the solar system for a little bit. That's only one solar system. Okay? God of the universe who keeps the whole solar system going, we get to speak to on a daily basis and, and, hello? Anybody home? And, and we're gonna, and we're gonna treat that as if that's a horrible obligation that we have? No. This is a wonderful privilege that we have and that's the way to think of it as kingdom citizens. Hallelujah, I have this privilege to come before you. You actually care about me, my world, the things around me. Help me to care about your kingdom the way you care about me. That's what it's supposed to elevate us to. Help me to care about your kingdom. You know, we start out praying about our stuff, of course, because that's where we're at. But as we pray about our stuff and we start to see God cares, it should open us up to get that kingdom mentality like, oh God, your kingdom, you, you, you have kingdom thoughts. You have king, you, your kingdom come, your will be done. And gets us on, it should help to get us on mission with, with his, with his mission. Verse nine, or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Here we have again another picture of the prayer part. A father, when his child is hungry, will do whatever it takes to get food for their child. A father's heart is to provide. Why is it so hard for us to believe that about Father God? We heard the president of Focus on the Family give his testimony at the CareNet conference, and he has an amazing testimony, didn't have his father, was not present in his life. And when he became the president of Focus on the Family following in James Dobson's shoes, he, he felt unworthy, unqualified, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one day he said to God, you know, at least James Dobson could call his father. He remembered him saying how he would call his father and ask him a question. And he said, I don't have a father I can ask any questions of. And God just spoke to him and said, I'm not a good father. And he just got it. Yes, yes, you are. You're the best father that there is. 
And you know, if we don't, didn't have a good model for a father, we have God as our father. He takes us on, he yeah. takes us up. We're part of his family. And there is no better father than, than the God of the universe. And if a father's heart, that's what he's saying here. If a f- earthly father's heart is to care for and provide for his family, I mean, we, we've, you've heard stories, we've all heard stories of men who when they couldn't provide for their families think about killing themselves or have killed themselves because that's what they do. That's how God has wired a man is to provide and care for his family. And so we see here that God is trying to help us get it. I care about you like an earthly father cares for his, his family. And we know all earthly fathers are not good. Well, if he would, if he would send his son to die the most excruciatingly painful death that could possibly be imagined by man, if he would send and sacrifice his son on our behalf, what more love could we want to see demonstrated? What more do we need? What do we need? I don't know. How much more could we ask for? It's all there. It's all provided for. That's the greatest demonstration of love that that could be given. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Therefore, as we have experienced and understand the love of Christ, we start to engage with our brothers and sisters in a way that's godly and kingdom mentality that we care about each other. I don't know how else to say it. I've been teaching this since I think I got here. There's that amazing piece that's so missing in the body of Christ is really truly caring about one another. And Mm -hmm. that's why the world doesn't want to come to church. It's why people have a bad taste in their mouth because the church has stopped Karen, people in the church have stopped caring about one another. Everybody's so busy. Everybody's got their own life. Everybody's doing their own thing. Nobody has any time for one another. Well, that's not how we're wired. We're wired to be relational. And we're wired to have, we need people caring about us. And we need to be caring about other people. That's how God made us. And the church has just become this disjointed machine where you come in and you go out and you come in and you go out and some of them are really big machines and not it's not church sorry it just isn't church is body <laughs> functioning together caring loving praying praying helping each other through the trials and the situations caring saying okay you know you know we can't we we are somewhat limited in what we can provide for for one another but we can provide something, whether it's encouragement, whether it's time. Time is valuable. Do you know that? And giving somebody some time sometimes to listen to them and to maybe have a cup of coffee with them, for goodness sakes, or whatever. You know, a little bit of time helps us all to feel, yeah, and helps us, helps us all to feel valued and, and loved. And we can provide that for one another. There's, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for us not caring a little bit more about one another. And, you know, as soon as we start doing that, it, it, it attracts others because that's just what, the, what, what happens. 
you know, if we, if we, if we do that for one another, if, when we really start to love one another the way the Bible says that we're supposed to, it changes everything. That's why the early church was successful, because they ain't filled with the Holy Spirit. They were taking care of one another. Yeah, they, they were preaching the word, but, but they were loving one another. And that's what the church is supposed to do. And when it does it, and does it well, it's irresistible. It's irresistible. That's right. It doesn't mean stupid love that doesn't ever correct anything. If a father never corrected his children, we say that's a bad father, don't we? That's what I was trying to say. That's what I've been trying to say. It's part of the love. It's part of the love. A good father loves his children so much that he corrects them when they do wrong because he loves them, not because he doesn't love them. It's a father that doesn't care, that doesn't discipline. I think that helps answer all of those questions. Yes, it is. And it's hard to do, period. Because who wants to, I mean, you love your child. You don't want to discipline. You know what I'm saying? That's, oh, discipline is hard. Yes, it does. And that's why this has been applied to God. You, nobody, nobody should ever tell anybody anything what's wrong or right because uh, of whatever. But that's just, that's not the word. That's not the word of God. When you come to God's word, that's not the model you see. He's a good father. He corrects us when we need correction. He disciplines us when we need discipline. But he loves us. He loves us while he's disciplining us. You know, if you, if you had a father that disciplined you, he would say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And you didn't really believe that at the time. But later on in life, you kind of got it. And you were like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, now I get it. <laughs> That is love. And if he had just let it go, where would you be today? That would not have been love. And so that's why we cannot, we cannot do that to one another. We see sin in each other's life. We got to first of all be concerned about our own. But if, if a man of God or somebody, some other fellow Christian comes alongside you and has some correction, Somebody that is, you know, you trust and knows loves you, we need to say, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why we have to be on guard and keep our own hearts and, you know, handle it the way the scripture says. Go talk to the person yourself. Don't just go by hearsay. That's got to stop at some point, and we can stop it. Amen. <laughs> Each one of us, we have the ability to say, I'm sorry, I won't listen to that. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and that you do love us and that you care about us enough to sometimes correct us and help us to be willing to hear your voice and to follow you. Make us good kid and kingdom, better kingdom citizens than ever before, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.